We are those who live connected to Christ intimately through a new covenant economy and relationship, getting our identity from Christ. Our identity is in Him, not in how we feel, not in what we think about ourselves, which changes from time to time, or our uh, belief systems about who we are and how we're doing. Our identity is actually rooted in Jesus Christ because the truest thing about us is what? What God says about us. This empowers us to put God on display. Why do we do all of our outreaches for free? Thanksgiving outreach is coming up. We're going to give all that turkey and ham and dressing and all that away to people who work on Thanksgiving. That's how the outreach works. We find the businesses that are open and we go and serve them. And we don't ask for anything. We want to bless them. Fourth of July, when we invite the community to our church or we go out to the community, why is it all free? Because we want to put God on display and God is generous. God is kind. He is gracious. That's how I got saved. It wasn't anything I did to earn it. Even while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know the love of God. So we like to put God on display and then multiply His life through discipleship, through Sunday morning services, through prayer shield, worship nights, this Wednesday night. How great is that going to be? To be together as a church family. I know we have two services, but Wednesday night we'll all be together, eat together, and then worship together. But we want to multiply his life by intentionally investing in each other. We need spiritual family. We need spiritual support. Anybody got it all figured out yet? I sure don't. So we need each other. And we are those who live connected to Christ through a new covenant relationship and economy. You know, I'm doing a book right now, working on it, called uh, The True Nature of God, which I've done that series here before. But this last time I taught it, I had three different people say, could you? Could that be your next book? Just talk about that uh, God is Christ-like. So when we see Jesus, we see the nature of our Father, and that's kind of one of the lenses that we look through. And then we get our identity from Christ. We put God on display And then we multiply his life. We want to share Christ with others intentionally through discipleship, disciple making, and other things. Does that make sense? All right. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for clarity and sanity this morning on tongues. I don't know why it's such a thing. But I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning. And we'll have clarity and sanity as we talk about tongues. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Okay, so what we've been doing is talking about being a counterculture to the world that we live in. The world that's going on all around us needs a contrast from the church. We don't need to blend in to what's going on. We need to look different and be different. And here's the major problem with the world right now. And I'm going to speak of American culture is they think that they can know good, be good, and do good without God. That is a problem. Because Jesus said there is none good but God. There's none good but God. And yet man, especially here in the West, we keep trying to know good, be good. And when I say no, K-N-O-W, know good, be good, and do good apart from God. And it's not, it's not going to work. So we have to be those who demonstrate and live in such a manner that goodness comes from knowing God, not getting rid of him, 
knowing Him. And so we've talked about embracing our true identity in Christ. That's part of God's culture. The power of the Holy Spirit. The Lordship of Jesus over every part of our lives. How how are you guys doing in that area? Are you doing well as far as Jesus being Lord? For the most part? Some things. Amen. Good. He wants to be Lord. Not just resident, but president in your life. How about embracing the health and healing of His kingdom? We've been doing that. Staying immersed in the presence of God. We want to be people of His presence. And then, number six, stay dressed in the whole armor of God. So that is how we landed on uh, the whole armor of God. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll reread it again. I don't have it on the screen for you. Sorry about that. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. Stay dressed in the whole armor of God. Let me just say this. That if you're not growing in Christ, and if you make a choice to not continue to grow in the culture we're living in, you will be deceived. Because the war right now is over what man says is good versus what God says is good. That is, it's not good versus evil. It's what man says is good versus what God says is good. And if you're not growing, in your knowing of truth, if you're not growing in your knowing of Jesus Christ, you will be deceived in this hour because they make it all sound super good. Well, you just need to love everybody. Put down your belt of truth, church, and just love everybody. I'm sorry, Jesus never used love as an excuse to not tell people the truth. And it's not my opinion. It's His Word. I mean, if you haven't diagnosed the... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Self-righteous spirit at work in this country where we've got man and politicians and groups who say they know what is good and righteous more than God himself knows. So they say, put down your belt of truth. Just love everything and love everybody. That's what Jesus would do. (laughs) I beg to differ. He never used love as an excuse not to tell people the truth. Why do we share truth with people, though? To talk down to them? No, absolutely not. Because we love them. That's why you tell anyone the truth. You tell your children the truth about playing in the street because you love them. Not to prove you're better than them. Come on, somebody. So the world, the culture we live in here in America wants you to put down your belt of truth. Take off your breastplate of righteousness. Lose this idea that you're at peace with God and God's at peace with you and certainly don't walk by faith. They want to change or exchange all of that for what they call, you know, tolerance. Although it's highly intolerant of those who adhere to truth. Yeah. Well, I'm not getting much help in here, but it's still the truth. Still the truth. Yeah. So don't lay down... I'm fixing to read them. Don't lay down the whole armor of God in the name of compromising with the culture. We need to wake up. Amen? Stand up and then live out the Christ life that He's giving us. All right, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of Of the devil, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Verse 14, stand some more. (laughs) Wake up, stand up. Having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always, there it is, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So the whole armor of God, all these things, all seven of them, have to do with you having proper knowledge and understanding of what's already yours. You have truth in Christ. You have righteousness in Christ. You're at peace with God in Christ, etc., etc. Now, I think this is important. The first four are really powerful, but the last three are the how-tos of the first four. And we started this last week. Number five is the helmet of salvation. It deals with renewing your mind. It's not just you knowing you're going to heaven when you're dead. If you put on the helmet of salvation, you're guarding your mind, which is the gateway to your heart. And the heart is where seed grows and fruit is produced. Okay? So how do we stay in truth, Sylvia? How do we stay knowing we're righteous even when the enemy may tell us we're not? How do we know we're still at peace with God even if we don't feel like it? How do we walk by faith? you got to renew your mind. The helmet of salvation is one of the how-tos for the first four. Number two is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The word there is rhema. It's a relational word. It builds your faith. It keeps you walking in faith when you stay in the word. Be married to the word on a regular basis. I pray to God Sunday for 30 to 45 minutes is not the only time that you're cracking your Bible. Fair enough? Because I'm going to say it again. If you're not growing in this hour, you're going to be deceived. Because there's a lot of things going on and a lot of information coming our way. But we better stick to the author uh, and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. And what he says is best for us. And then here we are, number seven, praying in the Spirit also will help you stay rooted in truth. How righteous you are that you're at peace with God and walk by faith. It'll help you. Let me take you to Romans chapter 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, groanings too deep for words, human words, uh, English words, native words. Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, that's so powerful right there. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Look at Jude chapter 1 verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. How are we going to reach the world all around us if we don't stay in the love of God? Pretty pretty soon, you know, our uh, olive branches will become stones. (laughs) You better keep yourself in the love of God and you better keep looking at the mercy of God. So praying in the Spirit is one of the ways that we do that. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I already read it to you, but here it is. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always in the Spirit. Now, I encourage you to take notes this morning because 
the tongues thing, like I said earlier, sometimes it can be controversial or confusing. It's crazy. Jesus Christ is the most controversial person in the world. Just try using his name to pray at the football game and see what happens. They'll tell you at the Thunder game, you can pray to God, don't say Jesus. So Jesus is the most controversial person uh, in, in the world. The Holy Ghost is the most controversial person in churches. Right? Do we let him in? Do we let him, uh, you know, well, listen, he's already there. I mean, unless he wrote Ichabod on the door. <laughs> the question is, will you let him have his way? Or will he be on the front row, bored out of his mind? Watching you all play church. All right, so three types of tongues. Let's talk about it. This is important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And let me say this. Tongues is not the only evidence that your spirit filled. I can take you through the book of Acts. Matter of fact, I've got them on the iPad. I'll throw them up here a little bit later. But Acts chapter 2, yes, it was tongues in verse 4. But Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter preached. He was filled with the Spirit and preached a sermon. Nothing about tongues there. And then so on and so forth. They magnified God. That's one of the evidences. They were filled with joy. How about that joy is an evidence of being Spirit-filled? How about love? The fruit of the Spirit you say you're baptized with is love. I think that's important. That we should have evidence of the love of God if we say we're filled and totally under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because if you say, well, I'm Spirit-filled and and I speak in tongues, don't be mean to your neighbor all the time. Amen. So you got baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of tongues. Then you've got the gift of tongues. So if we're in a corporate setting like this and somebody stands up where everybody's you know, they've got everybody's attention and they give a message in tongues. That's the gift of tongues. Now, that would need to be interpreted because that's God speaking to us through someone. And then as soon as it's interpreted, it becomes prophecy. And according to 1 Corinthians fourteen three, prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's God prophetically speaking to the church. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Not doom, gloom, revenge, wrath, and death. That's not New Testament prophecy. Turn or burn, baby. <laughs> when we were on Westminster uh, many years ago over in Nicoma Park, we had a guest, a first-time visitor that came on a Wednesday night. And at the end of worship, she stood up, gave this message in tongues, and then the translation she gave, oh my gosh, she thought God was going to kill us all. So I just had to say, I'm sorry, but we don't receive that word. That word is not in line with the true nature of our Father as revealed through Jesus Christ. So I appreciate you being here, but we do not accept that word. And, of course, we never saw her again. <laughs> but but it's, got, it's got to be edification, exhortation, and comfort because when tongues corporately is interpreted, it becomes prophecy. And it, it shouldn't be ships sailing in the night and wild four-footed beasts where we're all like, what? What did God just say to us? It shouldn't be confusing. God is speaking to the church to edify the church. We should know what he's trying to get across, not four moons and six suns and dancing with wolves. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? 
Terence Rose, who was a great evangelist from South Africa, told the story when he was here. That story, Sylvia. He was visiting at a church. He was the guest speaker. And they had a visitor come to the church who, who gave a great tongue and interpretation, this great prophetic word in the service. And everybody was like, wow, this is a new person. So the one who had deemed himself the church prophet, like, hey, nobody's given a word. If somebody's given a word, it's going to be me. How many know the flesh can get involved? He stands up and says, well, thus as I said to Moses when I told him to build the ark. Are you good? All right. Well, he realized after his spiel what he had done. So he stood back up and said, thus saith the Lord, I know some of you haven't been feeling so well. I haven't been feeling so well myself lately. And then sat down. You just got to put that guy in the closet, you know. Church will be over in an hour. You can come back. <laughs> What I'm saying is it doesn't have to be crazy. Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. All right, now let me give you the third one. Praying in tongues. And you know, maybe you say, Brother Steve, maybe I don't have that that corporate gift of tongues. That's totally fair. And I do think if the Lord wanted to use it, that He could give it to you. I think the gifts are like golf clubs. You know, you got nine clubs. You have them all, right? You went to the golf course, you got them all. But there are a couple of clubs you swing way better than all the other ones. So that's how I think it is with the Holy Spirit. I think there's some gifts that you lock in on that, you know, we see much more than others. But I think it's there. It's all, the gifts are are given to meet human need. They're not about you or me. So if he has need of that gift, then he can use it. He can use you, right? But uh, <clears throat> where was I going with all that? I was talking about praying in tongues and golf, yes. <laughs> so um, let me think. What was my thought there? We're talking about praying in tongues, the evidence. Oh, that you, yeah, you may say, Brother Steve, maybe I don't have that corporate gift. That's fine. Maybe you don't have the corporate interpretation. Did you guys ever think, well, okay, finish your thought, Steve. All of us can pray in the Spirit. All of us can pray in the Spirit. You don't need a special gift or whatever for that. But let me say this about a corporate message given in tongues. Paul never said, throw the bum out. If somebody stands up, gives a message in tongues, that guy's of the devil. We didn't get an interpretation. Get him out of here. Escort him out. Paul never said that. What if the guy who had the interpretation didn't give it? What if he had cold feet? Maybe the message in tongues was the Lord, but the guy who had the interpretation didn't give it. Don't go banging on the guy who gave the tongues message. Maybe he got it right. So the bottom line is Paul just said, let him be silent, just be seated if there's no interpretation. Why? Because it's pointless. God's speaking to us, and if we don't have it in our language, we don't know what he's saying. So... Move on. But we don't throw stones at the person or kick them out. Come on. Amen. So, uh, matter of fact, I had a guy come up to me right after first service and he said, I can't tell you, Steve, how many times that's happened to me where I knew I had an interpretation in a corporate setting and I didn't get it. I give it. I got cold feet. It does happen. And it's okay. We're learning. We're growing. Church ought to be a safe place. I <laughs> But uh, this will preach right here. We should be good to each other. And, and if somebody, if Jonathan gives a message in tongues, but there's no interpretation, we can encourage Jonathan. Don't blackball the guy. 
Thanks for trying. Man, I encourage you in that. And then say it could have been, maybe somebody had the interpretation they didn't give it. You know, just go home, pray about it, search the Lord. But we've got to learn to play. Church is a participator sport. That's why I never understood why churches throw out the Holy Spirit and all the gifts in the name of keeping things decent and order. He did say in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let everything be done decently and in order. But do you know what verse 39 says? Don't forbid to speak in tongues. So it's not either or. He's not saying, hey, uh, we don't allow tongues and the gifts here because we want it to be in order. No, he said, let the gifts flow, but make sure they're done decently in order. How many of you have ever been to a baseball game? Wow. Okay, now here, here's the hand. I thought one person. When you go to the game, did anybody come up to you and say, now listen, we're not going to squeeze bunt and we're not going to double steal because we know you probably wouldn't understand how the game is played. No, they do it all. That's how church should be. We do it all. And if you have questions, we'll talk. But we don't dumb everything down and throw the gifts out because the carnal mind doesn't understand it. Now, Paul did say that if you have a message in tongues, he said, I'd rather use, I'd rather speak five words in natural language than 10,000 in tongues corporately because I want people to understand what God is saying. So there's your balance. That's good. It's not just tongues everywhere. They'll think you're crazy, Paul said. That's what he means by decently and in order. But we don't have to lose our mind when you operate in the gifts. But you don't have to dumb everything down and throw out all the stuff that's in the Bible so other so lost people will get it. How are they going to learn to play the game unless you play the game? Come on, clap your hands. That's a, That's good right there. That's so good. Touch your neighbor and say, play the game. Touch him again and say, it's a participator sport. Here's something else you need to have. Boy, I'm taking way too long, but... <laughs> Thank you, brother. Hopefully your roast will survive. Three types of tongues. Baptism with the evidence of tongues. The gift of tongues needs to be interpreted. That's corporate. And then praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit. Now, three baptisms that you need to be made aware of in Scripture. Three baptisms with three elements per baptism. Number one, baptism of water. Okay, we're familiar with that. Baptism of water. There's a uh, baptizer, baptizee, and there's an element they're being baptized in. So the baptizer in water is any leader, maybe a, a, a friend of yours, someone who led you to Christ. Could be a, a pastor in a church, could be a... Sunday school teacher, whatever, but the baptizer. And then who's the baptizee? Well, the believer. The believer. And they're baptized into water, unto repentance. All right? Contrasting that, all four Gospels plus Acts chapter 1 says this. John the Baptist baptized you with water unto repentance, but the one coming after him is greater than him, and he'll baptize you in what? In the Holy Spirit. One of the major assignments of Jesus Christ was to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Immerse you. Put you under His influence. Acts chapter 5 verse 18. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He contrasts wine or compares, sorry, uh, wine and the Holy Spirit because if you take in too much wine, take it in, you come under the influence of wine. Of liquor. So he's saying, take in the Holy Ghost, get all the Holy Ghost, be fully immersed in Him and come under His influence. This is a major mission of Jesus Christ. 
All four Gospels plus Acts chapter 1 say the same thing. Jesus came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Two of them say, and fire. Okay, so who's the baptizer? Jesus Christ. Who's the baptizee? Us, believers. John 37, 37. uh, I don't know if Jesus said, let me see. It says that, uh, yeah, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said that. Then it says, this he spoke, speaking of the Spirit, that those who believe on him would receive. You're supposed to receive the Spirit and live immersed in the Spirit. So he's the baptizer. You and I are the baptizee. What are we being baptized into? The Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit. Amen. All right. And then the third one is the baptism into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, according to Corinthians, baptizes you and me, the believer, into the body of Christ. When you got born again, you became family, one with another, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not because you signed a card, but because you got born again by the Holy Spirit and he baptized you into the body of Christ. Okay, real quick. I mentioned a major assignment of Jesus was to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Tongues is not the only evidence. The gift of tongues. Here's the definition. Supernatural utterance in an unlearned language that when interpreted becomes prophecy. Number three. Paul mentions both praying in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. How cool is that? But my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with understanding. So I'm going to pray in English for Steve and I pray in the Spirit. And look at this. I'm going to sing in the Spirit and sing with understanding. That's good stuff. And you may say, well, Brother Steve, I just, I don't know about all the tongue stuff. Okay. Everybody say, I love Brother Steve. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because your carnal mind especially doesn't wrap around it doesn't mean it's not of God. Remember that uh, time that the Lord asked you to forgive that person that really hurt you? Well, your flesh didn't really want anything to do with that. Your mind was like, are you serious? Do you know what they did to me? So even though it doesn't make sense, doesn't mean it's not God. How about when he tells you to love people unconditionally? How about the first time you ever raised your hands in worship? Brian Cannon, Gretchen's husband, was here in first service. He'll tell you the story. Years ago, he could not, because of his denominational upbringing he could not raise hands during worship but the lord began to deal with him brian this is in scripture lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the lord i'm not saying it makes you crazy or charismatic but it does make you biblical so the lord is coaching him up in this and there came a day life christian center sylvia Brian Cannon lifted both his hands. He said, as soon as I lifted my hands, something fell. A weight fell off of me. Literal, physical weight. I broke through something that day. But see, it didn't make sense to his mind because of what he'd been taught. He couldn't, he wasn't comfortable doing it, but he did it. And when he did, it broke right off of him. So in the same way, I don't want you to miss out on something, praying in the spirit that the Lord would like for you to have. That's it. And we don't change because, oh, Brother Steve said so. Seek for what's biblical. Just pursue Him 
Pursue Him and let Him lead you in it. Don't even pursue uh, the gifts in the sense of apart from the Holy Spirit. Go after the Holy Spirit and then let Him lead you in the, in the gifts. Amen, somebody. Now, we don't want to forbid to speak in tongues. Look at this passage right here. I shared this with two, two pastors at a pastor's luncheon about 10 years ago. They didn't even know this was in Scripture. They had not seen it, or if they had, they'd totally forgotten it was there. Look what 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, Therefore, brethren, do not desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And their MO was, their theology was, well, we do things decently in order so we don't speak with tongues. They had never seen that Paul had said, hey, don't forbid people to speak with other tongues. So it is in there, and the Bible says a lot about it. There's an entire chapter, pretty much, 1 Corinthians 14, on speaking in tongues. Notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul lists out some of the gifts of the Spirit, some of the power gifts, uh, gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of faith. He lists those in 1 Corinthians 12. And then where does he go in 1 Corinthians 13? What's that about? Love. Because what good is it to flow in the gifts, have faith to move mountains, but you don't have love? What good is that? He said the greatest of these is love. So in all you're going after, make sure you get the gift of love. First and foremost. Very interesting. What does he say about people who have faith to move mountains, give their body as a burnt sacrifice, uh, speak with the uh, tongues of men and of angels. What, do you say, what does he say about them? They're annoying. <laughs> They're a tinkling brass, a clanging cymbal. Can you imagine if all I did was sit up there for half an hour and tap the hi-hat or the cymbal? Dong, 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 dong. That's what he says. When you're operating in gifts and you're you know, God's man of faith and power and you have not one ounce of love in you, you're annoying me. That's what he's saying. So 1 Corinthians 12, gets to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, greatest of these is love. And then 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about prophecy and tongues quite a bit uh, in, those, uh, in chapter 14. What I want you to hear this morning, going back to Ephesians 6, is, is that praying in the Spirit is a tremendous weapon against the schemes of the enemy. And it'll help keep you in truth. It'll help keep you in righteousness in the sense of how righteous you are in Christ. It'll help keep you locked into your peace with God and, of course, faith because it builds you up in the most holy faith. And people have told me, but Brother Steve, you know, the gifts, I think they've really passed away because the early church, they needed them. We really don't. I'm like, are you paying attention? Are you watching TV? You're telling me we don't need the power of God? We don't need supernatural power of God in this country? We better get it and get it quick. Because we're, we're falling like a mountain off into a cliff somewhere in this country. We Don't tell me the early church need it. We need it. We need the power of God. We need the gifts of the Spirit. Amen, somebody. There's people all around us bound by sexual perversion. Sexual addiction is the fastest growing addiction in this country. And if you have children and grandchildren, you know this to be true. You know it's everywhere. It's in their pocket. Because the internet. Let me explain that. <laughs> Everybody's going to go home and rummage Johnny's pockets. 
I mean, it's in their phone. It's, it's in the iPad. It's, it's everywhere. Sexual addiction is the fastest growing addiction in the country. Let's move beyond that. How about opioids? How about prescription medication? How about all the broken people around us? They're everywhere. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be able to, as I was saying earlier, be built up in our most holy faith. Be people of belief and faith and trust in God who are what? Keeping ourselves in the love of God for humanity. Because they're hurting themselves and trying to drag our country down with it. But they don't know any better. The world's going to world. What did we know before we were enlightened in Christ? We didn't know. And so we got to keep ourselves in the love of God and we got to keep God's mercy in view of us. And we can do that according to Jude chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Speaking in tongues is supernatural. It is not natural. That's why natural man rejects it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. How am I doing on time? Okay. Verse 1, pursue love. Does everybody see that? He comes out of 1 Corinthians 13 and says again, so pursue love first and desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Oh man, sign me up. I want my spirit speaking to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. There it is. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. So on Wednesday in the Word, that's a live stream I do. You can get it on Facebook or gracechurch.community on the website. 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday night. I'm teaching. Right now I'm teaching on the truth about tongues because there are people who still think it's either they're cessationals that the gifts have passed away or that it's of the devil. That's why I mentioned that earlier. Paul didn't say the guise of the devil if he gives a tongue and it wasn't interpreted. Let me, let me answer that question for you. Luke 10. Jesus said, and I think it's in verse 19. He said, Behold, I give you a power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You remember that? Do you think he's talking about you're supposed to go out and find real scorpions and serpents and step on them? And we crush them? That's what we're supposed to do? That's the authority we have? No. What are serpents and scorpions there? They're a euphemism for the demonic, for the powers of the enemy. Luke 11, one chapter later, one chapter later, he says, if you were to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, even in the natural, if your own child asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Would you give him a serpent if he asked for a fish? What he's saying is you never have to fear getting anything demonic from your heavenly Father when you ask him for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid. That's what he's saying. There's nothing demonic to it. And yet I grew up in a, in a church culture when I was really young that it was demonic. And you should stay far away from it. But simply not true. Anyway, more on that on the live stream if you want to hear more about uh, tongues and some of those things I'll be sharing. I want to say this though. Paul's adamant that in public settings, like we see here in 1 Corinthians, that people need to understand what God is actually saying. They need the gospel given to them in English. In our case, in English. Did you notice in Acts chapter 2, nobody got born again until Peter stood up and preached in his own, uh, his, his own language. Okay? 
And then Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, I'd rather speak five words in natural language than 10,000 in a tongue. And the reason he's saying that is because we want to reach people with the gospel. Nobody got born again until he shared in native language. All right. Let me give you this and we'll wrap this up. I think this is super important if you want to take a picture of it. Um, oh, before I do that, here's a few of them, guys. Acts 2, 4, they were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 4, 8, filled with the Spirit, and Peter stood up and preached. It's a good idea if you're going to preach, be filled with the Spirit. Acts 4, 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Spirit, look at this, and spoke the Word of God with boldness. Nothing about tongues there. Acts 10, 46, they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Acts 13, 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, 6, and when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. And then Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine, it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does it say right after that? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart unto the Lord. So worship, spiritual songs, is also an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. There are these other evidences. All right, that was free of charge. Here's the facts and benefits of praying in the Spirit. Number one, your spirit is speaking to God. I know prayer is about God speaking to us, but do you realize when you pray in the Spirit, your spirit is speaking to God? Spirit to spirit communication. That's so awesome. Did you guys see the movie, and I think it was World War II, where we brought in Native Americans to use their language? I think it was called Wind Talkers. Guess what the awesome part of that was that helped us win the war is because the enemy couldn't understand what we were communicating. You and God have a language. You, you can speak to one another that the enemy cannot intercept. And then number two, well, let me, let me stay there. Your spirit is speaking to God. This is amazing. You're not speaking to a person, a man, to men. You're speaking to the Lord. Praying in tongues will help you quit whining about life (laughs) and actually express His life because your spirit is speaking to God. Come on, that was good. You know it. That was good. It'll get you out of the flesh. It'll get you out of stinking thinking and into the mind of Christ. It's a weapon. It's a powerful weapon. Number two, you're speaking mysteries. So in Acts chapter 2, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, people from all over the world actually heard them glorifying God in their native language. There were several languages on display that people were hearing the marvelous works of God through the ones in the upper room who were filled with the Spirit and uh, speaking in tongues. So your spirit is speaking mysteries. And that's where I like to say it can't be intercepted. Number three, you build yourself up in the most holy faith. We mentioned that. I ate that word, that passage on build yourself up. It means to rise like an edifice, a building that's being erected higher and higher and higher. As we're stirring ourselves, man, I just, I just sense the value of praying in the Spirit and how it builds us higher and higher and higher. I think more in tune with the things of the Spirit, less in tune with the world, with the the flesh. And then uh, 
Well, let's put, let's put the next ones together. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Keeps you in the love of God. Keeps you mindful of God's mercy. How many of you think that's better than griping? Murmuring, complaining, yelling. If we're going to reach the world, look at number four. We're going to have to stay, keep ourselves in the love of God, mindful of the love of God. If we're going to affect our coworkers, we're going to affect our city. I think praying in the Spirit reminds you of the true you. That's really who you are. You're a spirit being having a temporary earthly experience. You're not a, you know, just an earthly being who's having a temporary spiritual experience at church. You're actually a spirit being made in the image of God. You're not selfish when you pray in the Spirit. You're being built up, keeping yourself in the love of God so you can be a blessing. How many of you know it's not, it's not uh, selfish to abide with Jesus? It's not selfish to sit in the Word. People need help. We've got to keep ourselves full of Him. And then I like that it keeps you mindful of God's mercy. Romans 12, verse 1, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves a living sacrifice. So we keep, keep on looking at Him. Stephen, you guys can come. Think about this, a body that talks to God, a body that is full of faith, a body that stays in the love of God. What a powerful, strong body that we can be as we learn to pray in the Spirit. And then the last one, number six, the Holy Spirit is praying God's will. I showed you that one earlier. I'll show it to you one more time. Romans eight twenty-seven. Right here. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You can be praying the will of God. You, you, let's say you're praying for somebody and you're praying in the Spirit. You don't even know what you're praying, but you're praying in the Spirit and then a day or two later you see a real shift in their life. You see something happen. You were praying, sorry, the Holy Spirit was praying with your spirit the will of God, His desire, His purpose for that loved one. Maybe for a coworker, maybe for your mother, whoever it is. That makes sense? But let the Holy Spirit pray in and through you with your spirit because he's praying the will of God for that situation. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. You ever been there? So we can tap into the realm of the spirit and begin to pray in the spirit. Will you stand with me? Well, that's so good. Last thing I'll say is this. If you never speak in tongues, pray in tongues, any of these things we're talking about, you are loved and you are welcome here. I want you to know that. There's no blackballing us for no more. None of that. You're welcome here. And we will do anything that we can to help you continue to grow in Christ, get to a place where if you say, Brother Steve, I'm comfortable now, then all right, well, let's, let's do it. Does that make sense to you? This is not some kind of, hey, us and them thing. We are the body of Christ. As I was saying earlier, let's have grace for each other that we can grow, that we can develop. Now, what I want to do, how many of you, just show of hands, have you say, I, I do pray in the Spirit, Steve. I pray in the Spirit. Okay. Keep your hands raised. Those of you who've never experienced it, here's what I would ask you to do is when we dismiss, close at the end of service, if you feel impressed this morning, you say, Brother Steve, I would like to learn more about it, or I'd like someone who does pray in the Spirit to pray with me. Would you just seek them out? Those who have their hands raised or I'll be available too. There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing at all. 
But I tell you, it is a weapon. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.